Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We have a new episode of Crossed Up, a Monday morning following yet another series loss for your Philadelphia Phillies. Things got off to a promising start on Friday night. They took a wrong turn on Saturday afternoon, and then they crashed into a wall on Sunday night, whether it was the Phillies offense, Angel Hernandez, Joe Girardi's bad decisions, it all came together. Phillies lose yet another series. They have not won a series since the opener Against the A's, they are 6-10. They are five and a half games out of first place. Only 16 games into the season. They can't hit. It's a mess. Anthony, you got to walk me back a little bit here because I have to tell you, and I've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it again, I feel like I am watching the same team that I watched in 2018, 19, 20, and 21 with just a winter recess mixed in between. <laughs> well, I don't necessarily feel that way. I think the results are similar. Obviously, the results are very reminiscent. Um, but I don't necessarily feel, I think that there are different issues at hand here uh, than there have been in the past. Um, you know, you, you know, you look at you look at some of these games, and you're just like. How are they not winning these games? Like they're, they're and it's not like you would think that as bad as this team is defensively, that it would be defense that would be costing them, or in years past it would be the bullpen blowing it. And while we did have one bullpen blown game uh, out of these ten losses, I wouldn't put any. I wouldn't put more than that on the bullpen. Um, it, it's it, this is a team that is not winning games because their superstar lineup is not able to manufacture one frigging run, okay? They struck out 17 times yesterday against Milwaukee's Eric Lauer and the bullpen. Lauer had 13 strikeouts. Dude's not a strikeout pitcher, man. Eric Lauer's career high in strikeouts prior to last night was nine. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, can he run it up there occasionally? Sure. Is he a guy that should be blowing your doors off with 13 strikeouts through six innings? Absolutely not. And listen, you're right. The Phillies have defensive issues. They've had starting pitching issues. The bullpen's been a little leaky in a couple different spots. But the thing is, when you invest the way that you invest in an offense, it's going to come back to the offense. Mm -hmm. And so there is plenty to talk about here. We can talk about, you know, Zach Wheeler's start on Saturday. We can talk about Aaron Nola last night and some positives there. And we, we're going to have to talk about those things because we can't just do 45 minutes of negative, negative, negative. And I was, I walked away from this weekend saying, if nothing else, at least you got something to look at with those two where you, where you feel pretty good. But this offense right now, we talked about it in our last show, some of the expected stat cast outcomes 
Phillies are, you know, top five, top ten in baseball. OPS is up there. You know, some of the different metrics, they actually grade out fairly well. You would think over an expanded sample size, that's going to bode well for this offense. But here's what I know. You're 16 games in, and on eight different occasions, you scored three runs or fewer. On five different occasions, almost one-third of your games, you've scored one run or fewer. You can't win like that. You can't win like that when you have Kyle Schwarber playing in left field who's throwing three hoppers to the plate on a ball in the fifth inning of Saturday's game that should have resulted in a dead duck at home plate. Or a ball that should have just been caught with a better read to begin with. Last night in the ninth inning, a dinker falls in between Johan Camargo and Odubel Herrera. Tough play. Communication? I don't know. Should Camargo have been out of there so Herrera could have just flown through the ball, made the grab? Who knows, right? We're picking at little things here, though, because the big thing isn't getting the job done right now. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's no other way to look at it, Bob. I mean, when you look at this lineup, who do you sit there and go, okay, yeah, they've been consistent. Real Muto and Castellanos, and I think that's it. I mean, no one else. I mean, I mean, I can't knock Camargo. I mean, the, the guy's done a nice job filling in. He didn't didn't do anything last night, but um, you know, he's. Oh, Al Foam's done a nice job, yeah, he, at least relative yeah, to what you'd yeah. expect. I know, I know, the last couple of nights have been a little bit more quiet for him. Yeah, but. You know, there are some guys that you look at and say, okay, great, but they're not the guys. Like, you know, I was going to wait until the 30-minute mark to jump in on Reese Hoskins, but, I mean, he's two for his last 24, nine strikeouts, comes up in a massive spot in the fifth inning last night, bases loaded, two outs, and we'll get to Angel Hernandez in a second because he was horrible. But, you know, our job is to talk about the Phillies, and the Phillies did not lose, and I agree with this. I've heard a lot of people say it. You know, Angel Hernandez, as bad as he was last night, the Phillies didn't lose the game because of Angel Hernandez. They lost the game because they don't hit. You know, Reese Hoskins comes up, and he gets a center-cut fastball in a massive spot against a lefty, and he just swings through it, you know? And you can go up and down the lineup. Bryce Harper hasn't been scolding hot lately. Kyle Schwarber's had his issues. I get it. I get all of it. But, like, come on, man. I just, I feel like I always default back to him because it's like, that spot last night was Reese Hoskins' spot. And he doesn't do it. And, you know, you look at this team now, and I'm willing to say, and I've, I've been beating this drum, you know, in the last week and our other two episodes, it's early. You can't go crazy. You can't write a team off. They could sweep the Rockies this week, who've traditionally been terrible on the road. They owe them one from last week. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw that. But, man, there are so many issues right now so many issues that it's just almost amazing. You would think a team that has finished the way it has finished the last few years would be energized, invigorated by some of these free agent acquisitions that they've made where they just come out and say, you know what? It's, it's fuck you season. We're going we're gonna to do it this year. And maybe they will. But the first three weeks of the season, I, I could not be any more underwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, the only, the only thing I can say is it's it's just that you know when when you have a team where you're that you're going to rely so heavily on the lineup, April's not always the best month to rely on a lineup, right? I mean that's I mean and I I know that sounds like it's an excuse, but there are like there are a couple balls that were hit in the game yesterday, and you're thinking oh that might be you know, no it's going to die on the warning track no it's not even going to quite get to the warning track like and and they look like they were hit better than than they were and it's just you know hey, cool nights tend to. Those balls aren't carrying, and they, that doesn't help. 
Um, again, not trying to make an excuse, but maybe when you start playing games in 80, 90 degree weather and the bats come out, then it's, you know, it's Charlie's time, it's hitting season, and then we're going to sit here and be like, oh, Bob, do you remember back in April when this team couldn't hit? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, well, you know yeah. what's going to happen, too? Be ready for the overcorrection, because the baseball's different, the baseball's not flying the way that it was, batting averages across the league are way down, offensive production's way down, and what you'll see is around June, yes, the weather will turn, and also baseball will overcorrect, change the ball out, and it'll probably be zipping all over yeah. the place again. yeah. So, yeah, yeah so, get ready for so that. I mean, so I mean, yeah, there are a lot of things that you know come into it, but like you pointed out on the last episode, the one team that's actually gotten off to a good start in Major League Baseball is the Mets. So if you're if you're not going to get off to a good start, which a lot of teams aren't, there's a lot of teams hovering around 500, a game above, a couple games above, a couple games below. I know the Phillies are now four below. That's not great, but but if you, if there's a if if there's a, a a division that you can't start off as poorly as the Phillies have. It's this one because the one team in baseball who's playing really good baseball is in your division. So now you're five and a half back. It makes this week like Waterloo in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, obviously you can always get back into a wild card race, but man, I mean, you you can't look at these next seven games and sit there and say, oh, yeah, yeah we'll just go three and four. You got to win. Teams. There are only two teams in baseball this morning that have a greater deficit within their division than the Phillies. The Nationals are six and a half out, and the Reds, I believe, are, I want to make sure I get this right, seven out. And they're uh, one and nine in their last ten games. And when you look at the Mets, this is a good team. It's a motivated team. It's a team that's going to spend money. It's a team that's probably going to be all in at the at the trade deadline. The Phillies cannot fall seven, eight, nine, ten games back. As much as everyone, and I said this in our last show, I'll say it again today. As much as everybody wants to do the the LOL Mets thing, it's a different team, you know. And I think that there's a, a different mentality there. You've got to compete and and forget the Mets at this point, you know. I, coming into this season, the most optimistic outlook for me did not have the the Phillies finishing atop the National League East. So I'm not asking them to necessarily go out there and pace the division. But what I am asking for is to play functional, competent baseball in the early going. Find a way to kind of grind through some at-bats. Maybe you're not going to be able to thump, thump, thump your way through a game like the way that we kind of talked about back in late March. You know, okay, that's fine. Things aren't going according to plan. But you've got to find a way to bear down and scratch across three, four runs on a given night. You can't just go totally dark. And I know that Milwaukee's really good in the back end of that bullpen. So once you get to the eighth, ninth inning, you're in a lot of trouble against that team. But you look at Saturday's game, and I think that Saturday's game is a perfect microcosm for what ails this team. You get three runs early on, three nothing through three innings. You give up the big inning in the fifth to the Brewers, and you have no response, no answer whatsoever except for three singles between the fourth and ninth inning. Not a single runner got to second base. I mean, that can't happen. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about the baseballs. We can talk about pitchers being ahead right now. It's That is inexcusable. And then to back it up last night with that performance, which was about as bad as it gets, as bad as Angel Hernandez was in that game, the Phillies were worse. And... It's fun to tweet about Angel Hernandez. It's fun. I wrote stories about it last night because I knew that that was what was going to drive the conversation this morning. But you've got to be better. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. There, there's no other. There's no other way around it. 
Bob. There's just no other way around it. The, 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 the whole team needs to be better, and it's everyone. It's not you – know, we're sitting here roasting the offense, and deservedly so because that's culprit number one. But there are times where I think that the pitching has been not great. There's been times now where the manager is making decisions that I'm like, what the hell are you doing? And I thought last night was a perfect example. And I know you want to get into Girardi, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the avenue in, you know, on, on, into your favorite whipping boy. And, uh, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll take it because I'm, I'm siding with you today. Um, you know, I, I, I know you want to talk a little bit about, you know, the juice and lack thereof. Um, and, and that's fine. And that's, that's something, too. But my biggest issues have to do with how he handles certain pitchers. And you look at the way Noel was throwing last night. Dude's got a one-hitter. He's pitching. And, uh, this is one of those when Nola's on, he is as good as anybody in baseball on. Okay? That's, that's the kind of game he was throwing last night. And to pull him. Now, I know he pitched seven innings. And, and you know, that usually should be enough for a starter. But he'd only thrown 89 pitches. We've seen him throw 120. 130, I think his career high was, what, 131, I even think. It's somewhere in that range. Right? Um, 89 pitches and a one-hitter dominating a team. How do you not go to him to at least start the eighth inning? Right? Just at least start the eighth inning. Because you know I hate the guy that he brought in. Now, Familia did a, did a nice job in the eighth inning, to his credit. Um, but when I saw that, I was, like, losing it. Like, how can you pull the starter here for this bum who has not pitched well for you yet? Okay? Um I, I at least got to give him in, until he gives up a base runner in the eighth inning. I, you know, and then, you, you, look, once you get over 100 pitches, you want to pull him out. I'm still not on board with it, but I, okay, I at least say, okay. You got to the 100-pitch mark, fine. Well, I'm, I'm on board with that. So that's number one. And then my second one, and I'll let you respond to both of these. You go to the ninth inning, um, still nothing, nothing. And he goes to Kniebel. Which is fine. Kniebel's your closer. Once you get to the ninth inning in a tie game, a home team can't get a save out of their closer, right? So you might as well use your closer in what you consider a high leverage inning. However, where the Brewers were in their lineup, they were 8-9-1. And, you know, there's a couple of lefties there. You could sit there, you could make a, you had two options that I thought were better than Kniebel in this spot. Either go, either go Sir Anthony Dominguez, who could just blow these guys away because he throws harder than Kniebel. Kniebel's fastball is 94. Dominguez is 98, right? So you either blow, you blow these, these guys at the bottom of the lineup away and just get over it quick. Or you go Brad Hand in, the, in that spot, right? Or you have at least Hand ready in case, it gets, in case somebody gets into trouble and it gets to Yelich, right? So you have, hand, you have the lefty ready to go. Neither was the case, and then you save Kniebel for, like, the middle of their lineup in the 10th inning, and especially since, as a closer, you're used to coming into a situation where you might have a little bit of trouble and you got to put the fire out. Obviously, this is the ghost runner situation. So, like, to me, there was an opportunity there for him to do things differently with the back end of the bullpen. He didn't, and Kniebel ends up blowing the give. Well, not, I mean, he gives up a run on a, you know, a blue pit, a, a clean hit, and then you know, sack fly to the worst throwing fielder in baseball. So, I mean, that's, that's – and that's the game. <laughs> and that's – you knew it. You knew they weren't going to get anything off of Hader in the bottom of the ninth. You knew it was over. 
Yeah, uh, so I guess we'll address the Aaron Nola element of this thing first. So Aaron Nola was outstanding last night, and uh, there's he was he was cruising. Um, I could certainly see bringing him back out for the eighth inning. Now, Joe was asked about this after the game last night. He walks out and had not a lot of juice, would be the way I would describe it. He sits down at the podium, and obviously that comes up. And he was very quick to point out that last night was actually, and I don't know if you know this or not, but last night was Aaron Nola's like first real start of the season. <laughs> so, I mean, you have to keep in mind, those first three starts, they were spring training starts. So last night was the, the first start of the season. And so, in theory, he should be, you know, able to go 90, 100, 100 pitches. But because it was the first start of the season, you're not really going to go beyond seven with a guy. And that was his explanation. I mean, that's the way that he explained it. So he had, he had said that, yes, it was possible you bring him back out in the eighth and maybe go one more batter. But in his mind, he had a predisposition to say that was going to be it. So as far as pitching into the eighth or even sending him back out for a ninth and letting him roll into the, the you know 110 range wasn't in Joe Girardi's plans last night. There was nothing that Aaron Nola could have done in that game because he did everything you could possibly ask for that was going to let... Joe Girardi bring him back out and pitch into that eighth inning. So, do you like that response? I can see your face. You don't. I agree. And I will tell you this. I don't really have... I'll be honest with you, Anthony. I don't have it in me to nitpick at Corey Knable in the ninth inning and the matchups in the ninth inning because I watched what unfolded, which was a blooper fell in to center field and one base hit sinks them. And if that's going to be your margin for error at the end of the day, then who cares? Because you wasted seven innings of shutout baseball. You wasted a clean eighth inning. You wasted one or two pretty, pretty good scoring opportunities in the middle of that game. You couldn't do anything with them. And so while I agree with you, and I'm not saying I, I don't agree with you, but when I take stock of the entire game, I'm having a really hard time going, well, you know, Knable in the ninth. Because I'm just looking at the laundry list of issues that, in my mind right now, are a bigger issue issue for this team at large, right? Like, I'm, I'm looking at this, this from a big-picture perspective this morning, and I just think that there's so many issues that I, I just can't bring myself to get too upset about that. But I will say this. It is a representation of the mentality from the dugout. And once again last night, we saw what I thought was a very relaxed, borderline indifferent Joe Girardi. I'm not asking that he runs out and kicks dirt on Angel Hernandez. I don't need him to throw his hat. I don't need him to be a psycho. I don't want him to be somebody that he's not. But again, I just feel like the way that the games get managed, to your point, and then what we hear after the game, and the body language, I'm not all that surprised that this team seems to be sleepwalking through the first three weeks of the season. Yeah, and, and, and your 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 points are, are well taken, Bob, and you're not wrong. I, what I what I what I think is is that you know we've said this many times in the past. Managers aren't necessarily winning games, right? They don't. You know, every once in a while, something will happen where a manager will make a really you know depth decision. Uh, late in a game and say, oh, wow, that was a, such a good move and that helped them win the game. Okay, fine. But they don't really win games. They manage games. As long as they manage them and manage them well, their teams have a chance of winning. But managers can certainly lose games. And what I and my my complaint about the whole, you know, you said you don't want to nitpick the Knievel thing. I get it. 
But my complaint is, is that here's a situation, and we'll get into something else I know that you want to talk about that happened earlier in the game when you have first and second, nobody out uh, in a scoreless game in, in, in the middle innings. Um, but here's, here's one of those situations where a manager has to make a decision in a very close game. And the decision that he makes could end up costing the team the game. Probably not going to win them the game, but it could end up costing them the game. And that's why, and, and that's what I worry about. I like, I look at those decisions and I say, it's in those times where you have to have put put away the 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 the, the binder at that time, put away the the you know your your number crunching and everything else, and have a feel for the game at that point. All right, have a feel for the game at that point. And no, you can't take out Nola here. He's pitching too well. And no, you know what? Maybe going to the closer against the bottom of the order doesn't really make sense right now. Let's save him for when he gets to the tougher batters. Just know these things. You have other arms out there. Let's give it a shot there. I, I don't know. I just, you know, I like a closer in a situation when there's a runner on base as opposed to nobody, nobody on base. Um, if, if that, if need be, if I had, if I had my druthers, who do I want out there when there's a runner on base, I'd rather have the closer. That's just me. Um, I will say, I, I will say this. You're not scoring. You know that Milwaukee has a good bullpen. So you figure chances aren't great that we're going to score in the eighth or ninth inning. So maybe I can get one more out of Nola, save my better relievers yeah push this thing into extra innings. And, again, you talk about Knable in the ninth. Chances are all you're doing by using Knable in the ninth is is trying to survive to get to the tenth mm-hmm. because you're not scoring off of Hader. You're especially not scoring off of Josh Hader when uh, there's a, a pitch, I don't know, three inches off the plate, and, you know, he's getting rung up. Yeah. You know, Kyle Schwarber's getting rung up. So, I mean – I don't know. I mean, I, I get it. I, I do. I, I do understand it. Um, it, it's it's a thing. And maybe to your point, while I'm saying I can't I can't bring myself to get all upset about it, but maybe that kind of underscores the point that this team is not good enough to just run away from its opponents. There are going to be plenty of more times this season where these types of decisions are going to be the ones that essentially dictate are the Phillies getting to 85, 86 wins. Or are they going to be a 78-79 win team? That probably is the difference. And last night, get it done. Well, I, I mentioned, and I want you to go in because it was more your your issue, and, and I, I I agree with it. I don't think you're wrong. Um, but fifth fifth was it the fifth inning or sixth inning well, when they got yeah. that first two runners on and Camaro comes up, and, and you know they don't they don't make a decision there to do something that's basic baseball. So uh, last night you get into a situation where nobody's scoring. You know it's a tight game. Big strike zone. It's it's definitely not going to be an offensive heavy type of night. And Kyle Schwarber comes up and he starts things off with a double. Okay, runner in scoring position for the first time in 10 innings. Dating back to the third inning of Saturday's game. So here we go. Al Bone works a walk. Your first and second, nobody out. And Johan Camargo comes to the plate. And he has a nine-pitch at bat, and he's up there hacking away, and he strikes out. And it wasn't a god-awful at bat. You know, he was fouling off pitches. He was battling. But is this not a situation? And I I know this goes back to a philosophical conversation about the, the numbers. Analytics will tell you that 
Going up there with a man in scoring position, two men on, nobody out, swing the bat. Chances are the contact is going to push the runner along anyway. Maybe you do some damage. Camargo swung the bat pretty well. I'm not telling you that this was the most atrocious or most egregious uh, decision of all time. But when you have a feel for the game, to your point, and you kind of just get a sense of where this thing's going, why not? Why not bunt? Why not just drop the damn bunt down, go second and third, get to Veerling, who, by the way, not a great hitter. I understand, but it doesn't require a base hit, which he got, to drive the runner in in that point. You know, are the Brewers playing the infield in? A ground ball to the middle infield probably gets the run home. A fly ball gets the run home. Any type of hit gets the run home. And last night, if they score that run, I know that when something happens that's different than what actually occurred, I, I know it can change the outlook, the complexion of a game, the decisions that are made thereafter, but they score that run, they probably win the game later. Exactly. That being said, they end up loading the bases. They have two opportunities with two of their best right-handed hitters at the plate. Gene Segura takes a pitch from pitch one that's six inches inside, literally six inches inside. It was, by, by distance, the most egregious miss of any umpire in any game this season. And you say, okay, well, you still get three strikes, figure it out. And I agree. You know, bear down and find a way, but it totally changes the rhythm and flow of that at bat. He pops out, runner doesn't, you know, runner doesn't score. And then Reese Hoskins, who I alluded to in the beginning of the show, swings and misses through a fastball belt high down the center of the plate. No run score. That was your one true chance to really put a run on the board last night. And this team just doesn't have or has not yet shown the ability to claw and scrape runs together. The only time they've really done it is going back to Friday night late in the game where they strung together all those singles. Other than that, it's kind of like got this boomer bust feel to it. You know, ball goes boom, the Broad Street Bombers. Well, guess what, man? That's not going to be there every night. And you've got to be a little bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? Resourceful. Yep. And this team is not very resourceful right now, whether it's the uh, the makeup of the hitters or just a complete lack of imagination and foresight by the manager. Um, let's, let's quickly get into the Angel Hernandez thing because it has to, I mean, we have to discuss it. I mean, we'd be, we'd be really doing a disservice to the listeners if we don't at least bring it up um, because that was one of the all-time blow-ups at home plate by Kyle Schwarber. Um, I, I didn't get the exact numbers. Maybe you have them, Bob, but I thought I saw something um, in a story. I don't remember which one I read, so I apologize for not citing it. Um, but it was, I think, that he had missed um, 10 pitches against the Phillies and seven against Milwaukee. Does that sound right? Yeah. That they were outside the strike zone. He called them strikes. Um, so that's 17. Um, I can't imagine that's anywhere close to the average. <laughs> I got I got to assume the average is probably five a game. Yeah, I mean, so the Phillies. Not only were they was he missing pitches, he wasn't missing a two zero pitch that was like two one yeah. or three zero. They had six called third strikes last night total across both dugouts. Six called thirds. Not one of those pitches was in the strike zone. Four went against the Phillies. Two went against the Brewers. So, I mean, that's crazy. Six at-bats ended last night that should not have ended on called third strikes that were outside the zone. 
Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. And so and so you know when Schwarber's doing the thought, and you get we all know what he was saying. He was saying you're missing them inside, outside, high for oh, both yeah, both dugouts. And then they and then they, um, I don't know if you well you didn't I don't know if you saw it or not, but afterwards, um, Sports Center is interviewing McCutcheon and asked McCutcheon what he thought about you know, what Schwarber had to say, <laughs> and McCutcheon agreed. He said, he spoke, Kyle Schwarber spoke on the behalf of all of Major League Yes, baseball. he did. Yes, he did. And I, that's what I said. I wrote in a story last night. I was like, listen, I don't have the mic. I don't do the John Boy Media yeah. thing where I can read the yeah. lips. But it means very clearly saying, you're inside, you're outside, you're up, you're down, you're over there, you're over here. Yeah. And yeah. I, it reminded me of like Chevy Chase at the end of Christmas Vacation where he says, hallelujah, holy shit, where's the Tylenol? Yeah. Like you could just see, he was, his... His temples were ready to pop out of the side of his head last night. Yep. <laughs> yes, he did. I mean, because McCutcheon got called out on, on a pitch earlier in the game. A classic reaction. <laughs> the back slows it down. And he rolls his eyes. I mean, it was awesome. I mean. It was. And you know what's amazing? We're, we're there last night. And I'm, you know, we're in press box before the game. And, and they're doing the home plate. Or they're doing the umpires. And they're announcing the guys to the crowd. And Angel Hernandez is introduced. And the stadium was not, you know, rocking at that point but people were booing the hell out of him and this is before he missed a call i mean when your rep when your reputation precedes you to that level where people go oh shit here we go that that should tell you something yeah it, it should tell yeah. you something i had a player last night text me in the second uh in the second inning of the game after he had missed a couple it was early on so this is before the segura thing before the schwerber thing and the player said to me Angel Hernandez on Sunday Night Baseball, you better swing the fucking bat. That was his text message. And he says, and it's only going to get worse. Because if Angel Hernandez has a chance to draw attention to Angel Hernandez, he's going to do it. And that's coming from a current player. So, I mean, it's interesting to me when you look around the league, if, if players feel this way, if fans feel this way, if, if broadcasters, I mean, I thought ESPN, to, their, to its credit last night, that broadcast booth, uh, they they heavily focused on it you know they didn't turn a blind eye to it so we have all of these people so heavily focused on on how piss poor an umpire is at what point do you do something and so joe girardi was asked after the game last night like how do you feel about an automated strike zone and he said he would be for it and i i kind of have always been resistant to that i've always said to myself Uh, I don't know, like the human element, you know that certain umpires are going to give you a little bit on the outside corner, you know, if you sequence things right and you really scout out an umpire, you know how to work them, like I like that human part of the game, but when you're having these these high leverage at-bats be ended by just egregious misses, it's hard not to... It's hard not to say, yeah, you know what, an automated zone is the way to go. And I, I let you chime in because I have a feeling you have something to say about this. But I have one more point, and it draws back to sports betting. And so uh, go ahead, let me know what you think, and I'll take it in a different direction in a second. No, I, I, you're 100% right. I mean, I don't want to see, I don't want to see electronic umpires. Not in the least do I want to see it. I, 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 there is, there is an element, you know, and I, and I, I have this discussion with Kevin Kincaid all the time. Like he doesn't quite understand the beauty of baseball in certain aspects. Like there's a, there is a beauty to the fact that this, not, not every stadium has the same dimensions. There is a beauty to not every umpire having the same strike zone. Like there is something that makes the game special because of those things that I know it doesn't translate to other sports like that. Like it just doesn't. 
you know, oh, well, could you imagine playing football and one field is 150 yards long and the other is only 100? You know, I get it. I and mean, that's It's not the same concept. It's a little bit different. Could you imagine watching an NBA basketball game where one night they're calling every single whistle and then the <laughs> next night they're not calling anything? Yeah, like, I mean, I so, you know, I, there, but there is, there is an element to the sport that makes it, that that's what makes it fun, you know, and that's what makes the strategy, you know, the going in, like you said, you're working on, oh, well, who's umping the game tonight? All right, this is how we have to pitch in order to get straight. We might be able to get something here. We might be able to get something there. Like there's there's a beauty to that because it's part of the strategy of the game. Um, so I don't disagree with you at all. I don't want to see it change. But at the same time, I don't know how Angel Hernandez has kept his job as long as he has. And here's a guy who's – who has sued for his position. Like, I mean, like, he sued everybody. Like, this guy is, he's just bad for the sport. Just enough. Let him sue you. Yeah. Just show his track record. Keep him in the game. If he's a good guy, I mean, like, maybe he's good. I don't know anything about him personally. If he's a good guy, like, you know, can't we can't we get him as, like, a rules analyst on a, on a broadcast booth? Or, I mean, come on, you know? But one thing I will say about this in I know that we have a lot of non-betters and they'll say, well, listen, when you bet on sports and, and I would be willing to concede this, when you bet on sports, you are at the mercy of things that are maybe a little bit outside the, the framework of the game. When you bet on a football game, you know, and there's a holding call that, that is, is a bogus call or a bad pass interference that shouldn't be called, that can change the entire shape of a game. And you just go in knowing that you you know you just have to deal with it as a variable that you cannot control. But when you have at the stadium, you know, a sports book advertisement everywhere, and you know, in, in between innings, bet five, win two hundred, and and all of these things, and you start to mesh together legal sports betting with the actual product. I do think that it puts a little bit more pressure on the leagues and the sports to say. We've got to do what we reasonably can to make sure that the outcomes are more legitimate. And so it's not just last night that the Phillies lose. Like if you had a bet on the Phillies last night and you lose, presumably in part because there were some questionable decisions. But when you look at the way that props have now been brought in, like prop betting in sports, guys striking out, guys drawing walks, you can bet on the very next pitch, micro betting. Will the next pitch be a ball or strike? What will the result of this at bat be? And that's going to be a huge part of sports betting as we move forward. We're just starting to scratch the surface on it, right? So then hear me out here. If broadcasts in the long run are going to start integrating this type of the, like the, these types of betting markets, and they are going to, there's going to be broadcasts where you can literally watch, and those types of micro-betting markets are going to be intertwined with the broadcasts. When you have a guy placing a bet for $100 on the outcome of a bet, and again, he's an asshole for doing that, and bet at your own risk, but when the pitch is six inches off the plate, and it gets called a ball, or uh, I'm sorry, it gets called a strike, and it should be a ball, like, the sports, they have a, a problem on their hands. And I think in the long run, it's going to be what pushes baseball to go to automation probably a little bit more quickly than they'd like to do. I, you know, I think that baseball likes the tradition, likes the, you know, hey, we have different personalities behind the plate, different zones. There's a little bit of, there's just a little bit of a human touch, like you, a little bit of a human element to it. I just think when you get this type of money, 
that we're talking about it, on the line here, I think that automation's coming, and I think that this is a big part of the reason why. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't care. <laughs> I know you're you're you right. To, you don't have to you're, care. As, as you're a casual as, as a fan of the game. As a fan of the game, yeah. you don't have to care. But that's that's where the business of the no, game is you're going. You're right. I mean, look, Charlie Blackman's now, but the, the first uh, baseball player to to uh, actually have a signed a deal with a betting um, company, right? I mean, he... And, and I apologize, because if you're listening to this show, you're probably like, I'm a Phillies fan, I'm a baseball fan, yeah. but I'm telling you, like, it's going to, whether or not you bet, whether or not you have a sportsbook app, it, this is going to impact not just baseball, but across the board. This, this business is going to impact what you watch Nightly, daily, whether or not you ever place a bet, it will have an impact on this game. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's, and and you know, in part, you know, part of me is like I'm okay with that in certain aspects. Like I don't mind that they start throwing odds up on the screen during the game or whatever. Like stuff like that doesn't. I know that it's kind of oversaturation at this point, and, and I know some people get aggravated with it. That kind of stuff doesn't bother me. Um, the the kind of you know in your face, hey, you should be betting this thing, but to change. The way the game is to make it for different for betters, that's where I, that's where you cross a line. For this me. is convenient. This one's convenient because, in theory, you're making the game better because it's being called more consistently and and more fairly. And and there probably will come times where things get altered to cater to betters. I don't know if this is one of them. I'm just telling you that I think it is a consideration. Like, I don't think that Major League Baseball is gathering in New York today in their executive offices and saying, you know, last night there were a lot of people that lost on their props because Angel Hernandez had a shitty strike zone. We've got to change the way that we do things. But I do think it's a consideration. That's all. That's fair. And that's totally fair. So, I, I want to then use the Angel Hernandez conversation as a jumping point to go back to Joe Girardi. We've already talked a little bit about the, the uh, I don't know, uh, some of the tactical maneuvers, some of the decisions that he made. And we referenced it before uh, in the show. We referenced it previously. But I do have a question for you. Kyle Schwarber goes absolutely bananas in the ninth inning. And, you know, everyone, I think in both dugouts, was kind of like, go ahead, man. That being said, Joe Girardi last night didn't get thrown out of the game. And, you know, sometimes it's like it's for show. You go out there, you throw your hat, you freak out, and you get run, and the crowd goes, yeah, all right, that's our guy. Joe Girardi, I thought if a manager ever had an opportunity to do that last night, probably it should have been right there. His team's not playing well. Team's completely lifeless. They're not scoring. I just, I just get this sense with him, man, that – he, I, I don't know. I got to tread lightly here because I want to say something and I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say it, but it just seems to me that he is not fully emotionally invested and this doesn't make for as good of a sound clip, but it just doesn't seem all into me. Like I'm not saying that he doesn't wake up in the morning and get nervous about the game. He doesn't go through the game plans. He doesn't look at the numbers. He doesn't think things through or that he's not doing his job, but I just kind of feel like, yo man, like. Let's go. Show me something. People used to go crazy about Gabe Kapler here. And I don't want to make it about Gabe Kapler, but people used to go nuts about how he'd be like, yeah, we're all trying our best, you know. We're going to keep fighting. It's the same thing, except I actually think there's less juice. I mean, I feel like it's like, yo, Joe, like, have a cup of coffee, man. Wake up. Yeah, I think, I think you know, I look at a situation like last night, and he does come out and he does 
quietly argue with Angel Hernandez after he tosses Schwarber. And I'm sure that as the game was going on, both managers were probably, you know, weighing in on Hernandez's strike zone from the dugout, right? I mean, they, they just always do. They always tend to do that. That's, I'm sure that stuff was happening. But that was a situation where if Joe was – Joe could read – Joe should have read the room, realized how frustrated his team was. Schwarber's reaction is kind of you know, the boiling point, the tipping point for that. And go, he could go get himself tossed at that point too. Because you know what that would do? That would show the team that he's that he cares as much as they do, show the team that he supports them 100%, show the team that he's with them no matter what. And they may still feel that way regardless. They may say they that. Probably but, do. You know what I'm saying? They probably but 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 if you put that out there on display, you're willing to you're saying to them, "I'm willing to show the world that I'm yeah, that way." Exactly. And that exactly. and that's the that's the difference, Bob. And I think I think that's what you're looking for, right? I think that's what you want to see out of him that to be, you know, and it doesn't have to be that all the time, but that was an example of a, of an opportunity that was there for him to seize and take it and really kind of boost the morale and get and get momentum maybe going for this week last night and he chose to stand there cross-armed mumbling under his breath and making sure he didn't get tossed and that maybe has a different taste today in that in that clubhouse than, than it would have been I, I think you nailed it I think I think you nailed it I think that within that clubhouse I'm sure if you talk to those guys on an individual basis say Joe's good guy we like Joe Joe's got our backs all of that right yeah and I don't know that he needs to get thrown out of the game last night to to prove it to them. But I do think that there's a difference between, you know, privately I have your back and publicly I have your back. And last night I just thought it was a, an obvious, obvious situation to do it. In fact, what I would have liked to have seen was the, the Gene Segura bat, that first, that first pitch. That's where I do it. I say, you know what? We haven't scored in 10 innings. That was a horseshit call. You've been terrible all night. Bear the fuck down and figure it out. Like, that's the spot where I do it. I don't even wait till the ninth inning. I get out there in the middle of that at bat, and I, I, I do it. And then I let the next four innings play out as they will. That's how. That, that's what I think. I mean, I really do. And I will just say, you know, we've talked about it before in other shows. I coach high school. I'm a high school coach. Okay, great. There, I think there are very, very few things that cross over between high school baseball as a coach and, and collegiate baseball and certainly major league baseball. I will say this. If I have a good team or if I have a team that is playing really hard, playing tough, they're grinding through stuff, and they are, you know, I think they're getting screwed with bad calls, I'm going to bark. I'm going to chirp. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to get thrown out of the game because there's different repercussions, at, at, you know, in, in a high school level. But I'm going to I'm going to let a guy know and like I'm going to go out there and do it the right way and make my point. If I'm not playing well, if we're not playing well, we're kicking the ball over the infield. We're not we're not competitive. I don't have it in me right. to go out there and start yapping about a missed call third strike. Right. And so why am I mentioning this? Because there's a part of me that's like in Joe Girardi's mind is he's just like, it's just not worth it. You know, like, not that he doesn't, not that he doesn't think this team can be competitive, but I just almost feel like, what level of investment does he have? And I just wonder if privately he said, I came back three years ago. This is not going the way that I thought it would. I can be a broadcaster again. <laughs> <laughs> I just, 
I really feel like that. And I like Joe Girardi, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to come across, I don't, I hope it doesn't come across that I'm taking cheap shots at him, but I do question, like, is his personality, I guess ultimately what I'm trying to say is, does his personality fit the needs of this clubhouse? And I do think that that's fair to question. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I think it's, a, I think it's, a, it's something that, I mean, it's going to be discussed a lot now because I think now he's, he's got himself onto the hot seat, right? Um, four games with the Rockies this week, right? Is it four? Four against Colorado and then three in New York against the Mets. Seven more games. Sunday night baseball again mm-hmm. next week. Let's say the Phillies. I just give you the the absolute nightmare scenario here. Let's say the Phillies lose three or four to Colorado at home, and then they go up to New York and they lose two of three or get swept. So we'll just say two and five over the next seven games. That will put the Phillies at what eight and fifteen. So let's say they wake up next Monday morning eight and fifteen or seven and sixteen. Are we there yet? Yeah. Yeah, because you're, at that point, you're so far behind the Mets, you have to be there. I mean, and the, the, the thought is, and I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of people saying, well, the 2019 Nationals came back after a slow start, and hell, the Braves were under 500 over 100 games into the season. The Phillies at no point, at no point over the last three or four years, have shown that they are capable of playing sustained baseball at the level that they would need to to climb out of a hole of that magnitude or a hole of that depth. And so, while every team is different, and maybe this team is different, I just don't know how far you can let it go. Now, I said a week ago that wanting to fire a manager after, what was it at the time, nine games? Yeah. Is insane. And I I believe that. The difference between nine games and 23 games, it may be a little bit different if 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 you can't get it together. You know, you're talking about a month at that point on the calendar. You're talking about if that scenario were to play out, being seven, eight games back behind New York at that point, it just can't happen. It can't happen. Yeah, I, I, and so here, here we are now, April 25th, and you're talking about a week that could, you know, I, I don't care. I, I, I always go to great lengths because I always go to great lengths when I write to say, let me qualify it by saying that it's early and that it's a small sample size and that seasons can't be won in April. And because I need to let the reader know that I understand that, that baseball is a marathon and not a sprint. This is a huge week for this team. They have to get going. You are at home. You were just embarrassed again this weekend. You've lost what now? The Mets, the Marlins, the Rockies, the Brewers, you've lost four straight series. You've come in with all of these expectations. You have this massive payroll. It's time to go, man. Now's time to go. Mm-hmm. They can't lose this week. They got to come away with at least a winning record. They got to go be at least at least four and three. I, I, but I even think five and two is more what they have to do. Yeah, you go four and three or ten and thirteen. You know, after the first 23 games, not ideal, but it's still manageable. As long as I think two of those three wins are against the Mets, you know, like, but I think we're at a point now where, you know, you've lost four series in a row, like you just mentioned. You, you now have to win four in a row. Or, or at least, and they could. or at least if there's a four, they, or at least if there's a four game series, you have to push it. 
can I tell you that I, I kind of think they're going to win three out of four this week? Like, I, and why? I have no idea. Because, you know why? Because here you go. Let's turn it positive now. Mm-hmm. After after 45 minutes of what I feel like has been a, a therapy session almost. You know, what, what, welcome, welcome to Crossed Up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen. You say, okay, a lot of negative. You know, the, the sky is falling. The Phillies are, this morning, they wake up ninth in baseball in OPS. 725 OPS. You look at the isolated, uh, the ISO numbers, they are 8th at 154. Like I said before, like you, you go across their statistics at large and you say they're not that bad. They're 5th in batting average right now, 251. Like, this offense from a statistical standpoint isn't that bad. So, you have to figure at some point something's got to change. So, here come the Colorado Rockies with Kyle Freeland and Marquez and then two TBDs at the back end of this series at home. You have four pretty good dudes going. Let's roll here, you know? So I I do think that at some point this offense is going to have to perform better than it has. It will. The numbers suggest that it will. The track records of these hitters suggest that it will or that they will. So so there's your positive. And then the, the other thing I guess I look at, if I can extract one thing from this weekend and say, here's your building block, it's probably the performances of Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nolan. Zach Wheeler on Saturday, I know he only goes five innings. He has the blow-up fifth, in part because of horrible, just horrific JV-level defense between Kyle Schwarber with the bad read on the bloop single to left and a 3-1 game. It should have been the third out of the inning. Run comes around, throw three hops to the plate, a league average throw, runners out by four steps, out of the inning, it blows up, Phillies lose. I'll tell you what, though, I thought Zach Wheeler, the velocity was back up a little bit. He was about a mile and a half uh, on average up on both the sinker and the fastball. He was pumping some 96s, 97s in the fourth inning, fifth inning of that game. I thought he looked a lot better than he did five days previously against uh, the Marlins. So I thought that Zach Wheeler was going in the right direction. And then Aaron Nola certainly, last two times out, he's only allowed, I think, over 12 and a third, uh, two earned runs, 13 strikeouts, only a couple walks. I mean, he looks like he's going the right direction. So those two guys, they pitch the way they're supposed to, and, and this Phillies offense starts to level out and, like, regresses positively. They should be okay, but it's getting late early. And, you know, the, the people that are super practical and, you know, a little bit more day-to-day and, and all of that. Like, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, I know. You're you're so smart. You're you're such a smart observer of the game to, to point out that they're 16 games in. Watch the last three years and tell me that it's not getting late early. No, it does. It, these games matter just as much on the in the final standings as the ones in September do. They absolutely do. They're just not as under the microscope as much, but that doesn't mean that they don't matter just as much. They certainly do. But no, you're right, Bob. I mean, you look at these pitching matchups, and the Phillies should be a favorite in every game against Colorado. Despite the disparity in their records, they should be a favorite in every game against the Rockies. So you have to, to me, you have to win three of these four. Yeah, Phillies burned betters last two nights. Uh, heavily favored both Saturday and Sunday. Uh, came up with losses there. And then uh, in this game, again tonight, just looking uh, real quick at DraftKings, they're minus, oh, gee, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, minus 200 tonight. They are minus 200 tonight. A 6-10 and 10 Phillies team that has been playing horrible baseball, has lost four straight series. 
minus 200. Holy smokes. And then they are currently favored minus 140 uh, tomorrow night uh, with Eflin on the mound on an advance line. Wow. Yeah, so to your point, yeah, the Phillies will be favored likely in all four of these games. They need to win at least three, um, in, in my opinion. You know, if your end game is like being competitive, wanting to care about the standings like at some point, I think that you really are reaching that point, especially when, especially when you look at what is coming uh, down the road here in terms of the schedule. I mean, and that is one thing that we haven't really talked a lot about, but the schedule gets pretty interesting. And, you know, you you got to kind of think like, again, it's, it's time to go. I mean, you have these four games to Colorado, then you're at New York. Um, what Do you know where they're actually at? I don't have it in front yeah, of me. You know, the, the, yeah, they're, at, they're against uh, – they have Texas, who's decent. Texas, come, Texas comes here for two. Then the Mets come back. Seattle on the road. Dodgers on the road. Yeah, this is like, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's time, man. Well, May is brutal. May is brutal. I mean, if you just want to just look at it real quick, I mean – after these seven games, which is Colorado at home for four and then the Mets for, uh, in New York for three. And by the way, are they playing the Mets like every other series? I mean, this this will – wild. And even, wild. even later – even they play again at the end of the month of May. They will play 13 games in the first two months against the Mets. That means they yeah. only play them, what, five times the rest of the year? Um, anyway, so here's, the, here's May. Um, two at home against Texas, four at home against the Mets. Okay? And uh, that leads into Mother's Day uh, – leads into Mother's Day. Then they go on a West Coast trip, three at Seattle, four at LA, no days off on the front on the front end of that or in between. So you're going from from Philly to Seattle without a, without a day off, Seattle to LA without a day off. That's that's tough. Then you come home with an off day, the lone off day in the month of May. Play here San Diego for 3, the Dodgers for 3. Then again, no days off, back out on the road. At Atlanta for four, at the Mets for three, and then come home and round out the month of, of May hosting Gabe and the Giants for three here. That's a hell of a month of May. You know, uh, one thing I do want to just point out, since Joe Girardi's been the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies going back to the uh, 2020 season, <laughs> Phillies, Phillies have played 116 road games. I just I have to just make sure I have this right because this is crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah, I do have it right. So the Phillies have played 116 road games. Do you want to take a guess at how many they've won? 116? I'll say 116. I'll say 50. How about 46. <laughs> oh, Phillies are 46 and 70 on the road under Joe Girardi. And so when you talk about the month of May, and you tell me that they are, you know, going out to L.A. for four and Seattle for three and you Atlanta, know, they Atlanta for four, the Mets for three, Atlanta for four. And then at New York again for three at the end, like if there is a month to rectify that issue, uh, May of 2022 better be it. Yeah, because if they continue to play at that pace against those teams on the road. Well, it would be a really interesting month of June and July talking about how can Dave Dombrowski strip down all of these expensive parts and try to do it again in 23. Uh, because, my God, I mean, they I, – I have to tell you, like, I'll, I'll hop off of this and I'll, I'll kind of reassess and I'll say, I think this is a good team. I, and to be honest with you, I would still take – 
I would still take because my mind just says there's too much here to do this. I'll still take the Phillies to make the postseason. I'm not off of that after 16 Okay, games. neither am I. But I am watching what is starting to look like a, a mini fire starting in the kitchen right now. And I, I see the potential of it to spread. And so I think my thesis here, my general point is to say that they have to extinguish this thing now. Because if they don't, it could get out of hand quickly. And I, I think that that's the way I feel this morning. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong, Bob. This is this is I I called it Waterloo a couple times on the show. That probably should be the title of our episode because we're approaching April Waterloo. And who who would have ever thought that we'd be saying that about this team, this manager, this soon, this year? Like we had to we had to anticipate far different like if, if they're going to fail it's going to fail at the end and then they'll make changes right i mean that's that's if, if you asked me and said what's the best chance of the phillies failing this year it wouldn't be in april it wouldn't have been now it would have been later in the much later in the year so that's why this is so fascinating to me that this is where they're at at this juncture they can't they got to get it right right now they got to get it right you can't go you can't go into that month and be so far behind it's and try and claw your way back against all those good teams. You have to get it going in the right direction now. In all honesty, and let's just let me just say this, Bob. And this is going to sound ridiculous, but I but I think it's it's fair, considering how tough that month of May is. I, I just want to see the Phillies be five hundred on June first. At this point. Oh yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, is is that ridiculous? To say, I only want you to go four games over 500. Because look at it. I believe that they have, so you have the four with the, the Rockies here, and then I believe two of the three games against the Mets take place in April, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So, you know, in theory, you win three out of four against Colorado, and let's just say they split the first two against the Mets. That takes you, what, four and two? That would make them 10 and 12 at the end of April. And so, yeah, if you can get through the month of May, two games over 500, and, uh, you know, for the month to pull even on June 1st, I think that would be a big win for this team, a huge win for this team. And it would probably let you know that some of the concerns that we've had here over the first few weeks are starting to sort of correct themselves as well. And so I would be, I think that a lot of people would probably sign up for that right now, which is a shame because... If you would have given that proposition on April 1st, people would have said, oh, what the, yeah, you know, we, what the right, hell? Exactly. That exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, if, could you imagine at the beginning of the year if we said we, we'd be happy with the team being 500 June, on it's June like, 1st? It's like, cutting, it's like cutting the lead to 10 by half like, time. Like, like, are you kidding? Like, yeah, people would be like, yeah. are you kidding me? You know, it wasn't great. It wasn't a great start, but yeah, at least we're, yeah. at least it's not totally over. Right? I mean, come on. But I mean, yeah, absolutely, man. It's, it's wild that that's where we're at, but that's where we're at at this point. Well, you know, I think that one of the patterns that we've done with this show over the years is that we kind of come on and, you know, listen, people have always said, oh, you guys slant negative a little bit. and But I think the fans like should want to hear what we're saying right now. I think that if I were a fan and I was listening to this show, I'd say, yeah, you know, like, that's right. I agree. And I know that we, John Kincaid was talking about this on 97.5 this morning about how, you know, fans are, are kind of becoming a little bit more, they, they want like a fanboy media. They want the, the rah-rah and pom-poms and everything is great. And this is why you should feel good about your team all the time. And I've definitely noticed, I'm sure you have as well, that there's an appetite for a lot of fans for that type of content. You know, oh, they lost, but, 
Did you see so-and-so is seven for his last 11? Yay. And I see that on social media. A lot of people love that stuff and they retweet it and like it. And I kind of go like, how can you, how can you focus on that right now when there's all of, or when there are all of these other issues, but fine. But I think right now, like if you're not at least a little bit frustrated listening to, or, you know, watching what you have watched so far, I don't know what you're watching. So I will say we have historically skewed negative. I don't think at the end of any one of the seasons, and when was the first year we did this? 2018? I don't think that at the end of any of these seasons, you said, wow, they were really wrong. All of that panicking, all of that bitching. Wow, that they were so wrong, those guys. And uh, Listen, I, I think that there is a, an opportunity, like I said, to get back into it, but I, I just think that this morning, that this is, this is the reality right now. And so, you know, unfortunate as it may be for Phillies fans uh, everywhere. Uh, I I need to get going. I, I, I don't know. If you have I have anything. one. You know, I always have one last thing. I know. You, I saw. So I was trying to cue you yeah, up. Yeah, I it. always have one last thing. How come when something happens in Philadelphia that could be even the slightest thing that's negative about a fan, it blows up into the worst thing ever? But then, what takes place in New York this past weekend? can happen and it's just like oh yeah we got to be better and then it just gets swept under the rug when that is as a that is as bad as anything i've seen at 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 a sporting event in a long long time so do you like the uh oh look at those phillies fans creating havoc at yankee stadium tweets yeah i mean exactly exactly i i mean listen that was horrible um it reaches a point where you know, you wonder, like, you talk about player safety. I heard someone suggest that fans are becoming uh, more aggressive because of sports betting and they're losing more money on games. Probably. And there may be some truth to that. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, inexcusable. And I do agree that uh, they're – I, I kind of do get tired sometimes of, like, the, oh, look at those Phillies – look at those Eagles fans at the Guardians-Yankees game. Mm-hmm. Like, but – I do agree with the premise or the overarching idea that if that had taken place in Philadelphia, it would have been a national story. Whereas in New York, it's just, well, those fans should be ashamed of themselves, but it doesn't say anything uh, at grand scale about them. Yeah. Uh, and That's I, what I'm saying. I, like, I mean, if that would have happened in Philadelphia, it would have led the national, the national news on ABC, CBS, NBC. I mean, literally, would, yeah, it would have been... Turn on PCI and around the horn tonight. It would have been and, everywhere. It would have been everywhere. Yeah, it would be playoff weekend recap and unruly Phillies fans. Right, and, but if, but because it happens in New York, it just gets a... barely gets a mention. And Miles Straw, to his credit, said it right. Worst fans on the planet. New York fans. And we've known this in Philadelphia... For many, many, many years that there is nothing. And matter of fact, the only other ones I would even put up there is I would put Boston fans probably right with those New York fans because they're they're bad in, in a different way. But, I mean, yeah. I ever tell you, I was, at a, I was in college. I was at a fraternity party, and uh, it was a Saturday afternoon, and Yankees were in the playoffs, and maybe the late afternoon, and uh, they were about to get eliminated. And a friend of mine had like his Yankees jersey on and his Yankees hat on. And there was, the game was on in like another room, but he wasn't really paying attention to it. Big Yankees fan. And I said, yo, uh, you know, like you're not, you don't seem too dialed into this one. And he goes, yeah, it's the Yanks. They'll win. 
and I like it's just like what a lo- like oh man like I went to school in in Central Jersey I went to school at Monmouth so I went to school in Long Branch it was like right on that like that dividing line in New Jersey of like the New York and Philadelphia markets and so I have a lot of friends from that that area like a lot of friends that are New York sports fans and oh just awful. yeah it was funny but I I went to if you remember last last year the Yankees came in. And it was the first – it was maybe not the first game, but it was one of the first games um, after they were allowed to have full houses back at Citizens Bank Park yeah. after the pandemic, right? Um, and it was packed. It was There were so many people there. And it was really, really cool to be back out there again. But they were playing the Yankees, and there were a lot of Yankees fans there. And so you know, I'm there with, with Maria and, and, and with uh, my son Andrew, and, like, and we're getting fired up at the, at the New York fans. Like just – just and, and like just, just because I can't take them. I just nothing burns me up more than than New York fans, especially when they come down here and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And she's looking at me and she's going, "Why does this matter to you so much?" And I'm saying to her, "You just don't get it. You don't understand. <laughs> there is just something that they, first of all, sports is a religion. Number one, it really offends you. It's a, an extension of your existence. Yes, I said sports is a religion. Number one, but number two. There is this thing between Philadelphia and New York that will never go away, and it's it's not just related to sports. It's it's a big brother, little brother kind of situation, right? Two major markets, ninety miles away from each other. That's that's what it is. I said, and those people come down here and try to make a mess of our of our home, and we don't like it. We don't like it, and that's all there is to it. She doesn't get it, but you know, I mean, and, and that's the only time that you know we were ever. Like that. I mean, anytime New York fan, the Mets game when Wheeler when Wheeler threw that, um, we were at the the Wheeler game, the one hitter last year against Sunday, the game, Sunday game. Yeah. Awesome. The same thing. It was the same thing because it was New York fans. But any other Phillies game, I sit there quietly and just enjoy the game. Doesn't matter who they're playing. You bring the New York fans in, man. All of a sudden, I, I turn into someone different just because of those idiots <laughs> who come down here. So it's good. It's the nineteen-year-old and you kind Absolutely. of comes back off the chest. Absolutely. Out a Absolutely. So there you go. Well, we will be back later this week. Uh, I guess we'll we'll probably aim for the Thursday Friday show uh, to be determined. Have to look at the schedules and stuff like that. Yeah, but that Thursday game's an after one o'clock start against Colorado. Yeah, Phillies Rockies this week, and then taking us into uh, what figures to be a pretty important series uh, up in New York against the Mets next weekend. So. Uh, not the most optimistic outlook at the moment, but Phillies will try to get back on track this week for Bob, or I'm sorry, I am Bob Wankel. So for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel, and we'll talk to you soon. Make sure that you follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get uh, your podcasts, YouTube, all that good stuff, and we'll talk to you soon.